Hello again, everybody. John Porteous of the Lovells Township Historical Society here, and welcome back to the Backcast Podcast. This week's episode features an entertaining sit-down with Mark Hendricks. Mark is a great casting instructor. He's been with Gates a long time, and we had a great time uh, speaking with him, and I think you're going to have a great time listening to his stories. So enjoy. Mark Hendricks. I've been working at Gates Lodge for 15 years. I'm a retired fire chief from down in Metro Detroit. Uh, been working here pretty much since I retired. Uh, the, I guide here and I'm also the head instructor. Uh, I do almost all of the instruction, fly casting, uh, dry fly fishing, wet fly fishing, that type of thing. If somebody comes in and wants to learn how to fly fish, it's a pretty fair chance that I'm going to be the one that gets that job. Nice. So. Nice. Mm, that's great. Did you did you go straight from uh, being a fire chief to working up here? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. yeah it's totally unexpected uh, job offer, and I got a lot of help getting into the business from Sam Surrey, who has given me excellent advice over the years. I learned so much from Sam about being a guide, and I bumped into Rusty Gates. Uh, Shortly thereafter, shortly after I retired, and bumped into him, and he mentioned, he says, hey, Chief, what are you up to? And I said, well, I'll tell you, since I saw you last fall, you know, blah, 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 they had his retirement thing at work, and I'm not doing anything right now, really. I, nobody's hiring anybody from Michigan. I got a few job apps out, but nothing's happening. And I was just being friendly. All I said was, heck, if I could find anything that paid at all, I'd move up there and be where you're at, you know, full time. Why don't you come and work for me? Great. Did you have a place up here at that time? Yes. Yeah, on we had a on the Manistee? Up here we bought up in the mm-hmm. same place we're in now. Yep. Okay. We bought it back in the 90s. So. so for those folks that are listening, that may not have the pleasure of knowing you, the, uh, you, you were fishing long before. Oh, yeah. Oh, most of my life. I mean, when I was a kid, we fished for bass and panfish or pike. That's what you do. We Lived down by Detroit. There's not a lot of trout fishing down there, and nobody I knew fly fished. Even though I was, I was enamored with books of trout flies since I was a little kid. I don't know why. I just thought they were so cool to look at. I never thought I'd be doing it. When, when did you actually start fly fishing, Mark? Oh gosh, I first fished up in the Osable River system back in mm-hmm. I think 1973. Uh, it was a little farther mm-hmm. down. It was farther down past Mayo down that way, but. And then it gets away from me for a while. You sure. get kids and family and obligations and come back, you know. <laughs> now I have more time to do it. That's awesome. How many days are you on the water each year? It's tough to tell. It's really, a, it's however many days people want to go. Right on. <laughs> you know, some days I got three, four jobs a week. Some, or some weeks, I should say. Some weeks I have three, four jobs. Some weeks I work seven days in a row, a couple <clears> weeks in a row. Do you, do you do watersheds outside the Osable or the Manistee? Really just the Manistee and the Osable, yeah. And mostly the Osable, the mainstream and North Branch. Okay. A little bit on the south and some on the Manistee. I'm, I think I'm going to get over there more this year. Yeah. Nice, nice. And you said you started guiding after you retired. Correct. And that was when? That was... Uh, mm, I retired in 2004, so it would be 2005. 
Okay, so, good deal. Okay, 2005. Yeah. Interesting. And your mentors were Sam Surrey and oh, Rusty Gates. Sam, <clears throat> Sam had so much very good advice for me. He's just he's just smart about the business. That's all I can mm -hmm. tell you. Mm -hmm. And a, and a good guy, and he helped me a lot. He's a pretty good fly tire too, isn't he? He's an excellent fly tire. Mm -hmm. Did he help you with fly tying? Yeah, he more mm -hmm. or less the one that taught me how to fly. Ah, tie interesting. Yes. Well, he and about three other guys are responsible, I think, for what sixty percent of the flies that are tied in this area. Oh, he's <laughs> he's the most prolific fly tire I know. Just I mean, he really crazy is. Volume. Absolutely. Uh, More than Jerry Reagan, goes, and they're and they're all good too. He's he's a great fly tire. Did you, when when you were coming up in the seventies, you know, we've we've been talking with a couple of the other guys, uh, Ron Mercosi, um talked to uh, Bob Anders yesterday. It, did were those guys that you knew from being around, or did you fish with it, or any? No, no, I didn't. I didn't know Ron. I knew who Bob was. Because he worked in the old fly factory over there mm -hmm. uh, when Steve Southern owned it. I'd seen him in there numerous times, and I'd talked to him in the shop, but I, other than knowing who he was, I mean, we weren't fishing buddies or anything. Did, did you have fishing buddies? Do you, uh, do you have a fishing buddy now? <laughs> Not really. I, uh, what I refer to as the great irony in my life is how little I, I actually go fish. fishing. <laughs> uh, I'm guiding all the time. When I was a fire chief in a busy fire department, I was working 60 and 70 hour weeks regularly. I fished 10 times more than I do now. Mm -hmm. It's the great mm -hmm. irony of my life. You know, we come up here on a Thursday night or Friday night and I jump in the river and I'd get out on Sunday night when it's time to go home again. And now that I've been living up here for 15 years and I know where to fish and I know how to fish, I rarely have a rod in my own hand. Fish. I'm always taking somebody out doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> if, I fish, if I fish three, four times a year, that's a lot. You know, the last thing I want to do, if you've worked a couple weeks in a row all day, every day, the last thing I want to do is get back in the river again on my day off. I just, <laughs> I just want to sit there with a TV remote in my hand. You know? Well, this, it's, a, it's a fair point because I think a lot of people don't perhaps realize all the prep work, all the back end work, um, everything, it, it's a lot more than just showing up with a boat and a couple of rods and a client. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, that's It's like being a guide, everybody says, oh, you got the dream job. <clears throat> but in actuality, it's like every other single job in the world. There is more to the job than it looks to somebody on the outside who's not actually doing it. Sure, Every job sure. in the world is like that. And mm -hmm. you're right. There's mm -hmm. prep time and cleaning your boat up and getting your mm -hmm. stuff ready and making sure you got the right flies and enough of them. And yeah, there's a lot that goes into it that people don't see. My, you know, my eight or 10 hour day here is really probably a 12 to 14 hour day when you get done with everything. In front of the back. Yeah. Uh, I'm th and I'm thinking, you know, pulling into your driveway at about four in the morning after a hex night or something like that. Well, I'm, for <laughs> I'm fortunate there because I haven't run hex trips in years. Oh, I'm really, <laughs> um, I'm really glad uh, I don't have to run the hex trips. I'm getting older. I'm older than the other guides here, and like many people at my age, you just don't see as well at night. And I told Josh, I said, I don't think it's safe for the clients. I, I just don't <clears> want to <throat> do this anymore. <clears throat> and fortunately, there are a lot of people that don't want to fish at night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're daytime people. They either don't want to fish at night or they probably shouldn't be fishing at night for one reason or another. And I get those clients. Josh does a great job of matching up his guides with clientele. Mm 
and I get all the people that don't want to fish at night. And I'm still busy. I work almost every day in June, just like mm -hmm. all the other guides, except I'm not out there at night, and I'm very thankful for that. That makes a lot of sense. Do you have some regular clients, Mark, that uh, sign you up every year? Oh, yeah. Probably the same week and the same day. and Some of them the same week and the same day. I've got a mm -hmm. few of those, but I do have more regular clients to come back. It might be a different day. They might be here in mm -hmm. May or they might mm -hmm. be here in June. That's dependent on their schedule and when they can get away. But, yeah, I think all the guides have their own regular clientele. Yeah. Mm. Do, do you have a, a hatch that you like it, your, yourself it, to, in terms of uh, putting a client on fish with a, a, a fairly dependable hatch? Not necessarily. I just try to match whatever's out there at the time. I, I have a favorite time of year, which would be the second half of May or the first week or so, first half of June, because you can run into half a dozen or more separate things at once. And, of course, you're playing that guessing game. What is it they want today, you know? And you can have six or seven different things going on at the same time, and you have to figure it out. But generally, there's, you just do whatever you need to do to catch fish. I'm not somebody that goes fishing specifically because it's brown drakes or hex or whatever, but, you know, sulfurs are often really good. Hendrickson's are great. There's always olives and caddis out there, some form or another. So <laughs> you just got to see what's happening that day. Now, th those, are, those are specific insects, and uh, many, of the, uh, many of the guides in the Osable have developed their own kind of special flies that aren't insect related like the skunk and some others barber pole um, do you do you take a bunch of those with you too if you're not seeing hatches and give us an example of some of the your favorite uh, attractors or non-insect specific flies mark oh yeah I've always got all kinds of flies with me I mean that's uh, I've got a couple that I tie that don't mimic a particular insect mm -hmm. i mean the adams is the famous one that doesn't imitate, sure. imitate a specific insect but it works all the time i've got a kind of a oh wet fly slash flimph that i tie uh that i fish for hendrickson's and it works really well and the thing is it's a generic tie you can modify that fly by size and color to match any hatch out there you could fish hexes with it and I usually powder them up and fish them right in the surface. Okay, it's a surface like an emerger, line. yeah. Mm -hmm. And they seem to like it quite a bit. So neat. Flimp, you call it? Well, it is a it is a flimp, which is traditionally a wet fly fished just under the surface a few inches. But like I say, I like to dust it up and fish it right in the film, right up top. And it seems to work very well. I've had good luck with it. Mark, uh, all of you guides use uh, uh, boats of various kinds, and on the Osabo mm -hmm. Manistee, the uh, long boat or the uh, Osabo River boat's uh, the main floater. Um, tell us about your first boat and boats you've had along the way. Well, my first boat I got uh, through Sam Surrey. He knew somebody who had an old used river boat that I could get at a reasonable price and just to get into a boat and get to going. And I had that, I don't remember how long I had that, uh, a year or a couple years, I think, and maybe. But then uh, I wanted to get something a little bit nicer, so I got a hold mm. of Billy Lowe's. I'd heard from everybody, Billy builds the best boats around, and I would agree with that. And so I got a boat from Billy Lowe's. And <clears throat> Was your first boat the full length? Was it a 24-footer or so? And, uh, I believe so. I, I, don't, I don't know the exact length. They're all <laughs> okay. a little bit 
little bit different depending on who built them. I don't know who built the boat. Uh, right. The first one I had, I, I have no idea. Like I say, I only had it for a year or so, and mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to get something a little bit better, a little bit nicer, so I did. Billy builds a nice boat, doesn't he? Oh, my gosh, yes. He is, he's, yeah, he, yeah, Billy is meticulous. I'm talking, I'm serious. There's not a 64th of an inch difference between the bow and the stern on that boat down the midline. He is absolutely <laughs> meticulous about his work. I think he's the only actual shipwright that has been building boats. That's his background. <clears throat> that is his background. Yeah. I know he worked for Chris Craft for a long mm-hmm. time building wood boats. Mm-hmm. So he's got a you know, good pedigree there. I got. A, I go along with you because I've got one of his boats too. It's a yep. beautiful piece of work. And you were right, John. Uh, his wife does do all the artwork and the description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dress it up, dress it up yep. beautifully, and does uh, very yes, well. And she helps build them too. <clears throat> I've seen her up there. She does a lot of the fiberglass work and the trim nice. and stuff. Yeah. Still amazed to me how one guy can horse one of those things around. They're pretty heavy, and uh, he Billy just. Man handles them as if they're a mm-hmm. birch bark canoe. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it's time for some really good guide stories from Mark Hendricks. Wouldn't you like to hear some guide stories, Sean? Maybe. I do. Uh, I got three of them in particular that come to mind, and I'm not sure what to call the first one. It's either going to be uh, beginners or it's going to be called hole in one. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, this is a long time ago now. I don't remember the people who it was, but uh, I had an inst- what they call an instructional trip here at Gates Lodge, and that's when people show up and they want to learn how to fly cast and how to fly fish. I do those all the time. And I was here at the lodge, and they told me, well, your people are down there. They're in room six or seven or wherever. I don't remember what room it was. Go down and knock on their door. So I did. Knock on the door, and I said, okay, we're ready. And they walk out the door. Nice couple, really nice, really friendly, and they looked like matching catalog ads for a fly fishing company. (laughs) And I'm telling you everything, boots, waders, shirts, hats, vests, rod, reel, I'm sure, line leader and flies too, you know, (laughs) right top to bottom, matching everything. Real nice people. We go out in the yard and we work on fly casting for a little bit. Did they have the... uh, Tags on them still, or did they take no, the I tags recall, off? I don't tags recall. It was just striking yeah. that they were basically identical. <laughs> okay. And uh, we were going fly casting for a little bit, and I said, well, let's go get in the river. I want to talk to you about presenting your fly. You need to get your fly to land and float like a real fly so the fish will look at it. I would just go over here to Guide's Rest. And we get in the river, we walk out in the middle of the river. It's pretty easy wading there. And you were wade tripping. This wasn't a boat yeah. trip. Yeah. No, no. We're wade walking. We're, mm-hmm. I'm teaching. Uh, usually when I'm teaching, we're walking almost all the time. It's so much easier to learn. Oh, sure. It just facilitates mm. it so much better. It's better one-on-one. Anyway, we're guides, and I'm talking about throwing your fly over there and kind of making sure your fly's not dragging and skating across the water like Bobby or You know, you fish just aren't going to look <laughs> at it when that happens. And we're doing dry flies. I've got a dry fly, and I'll see your dry fly there. So you're going to throw a little slack into it so it floats, follow it with your rod, you know, the normal stuff. And I got them about 100 feet apart on the river. I'm working with each of them. And I'm working with the wife, and I said, okay, we're going to switch over. We're going to switch over to 
little wet flies here now. It'll, it'll be a little bit different. And I put on a little soft tackle wet fly. I don't remember what it was. I said, this will be a little bit different cast. You're not going to have to worry about the mend as much as you do with dry flies. Just let it kind of swing down and follow it. And I said, you won't see the fish take it this time, but you'll feel it. You'll feel a little bump. And if you do, just lift your rod and set that hook gently, and the fish will more or less hook itself many times. And she, she throws it out there a couple times. I said, okay, I'm going to go work with your husband. If you do catch a fish, just pull it in. It, you know, Because what they have there is basically six-inch brook trout. That's what you find there all the time. And it's okay. And I turn around and walk back towards her husband upstream. And I haven't gone 10 or 12 steps. And she goes, I got one. I said, well, great. Just pull it in. She goes, I'm trying. I can't. I said, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Just pull it in. She goes, I can't. I'm trying. So all right. I'll come and help you. I turn around, walk back to her, and I get close to her, and I can see an enormous brown trout under the water dancing on her line. I can't believe it because there's never been a fish like this there. Never. <laughs> this is middle, middle of the day. Holy cow. Yeah, middle of the day, sunny afternoon, uh, probably a Saturday where you got canoe traffic and stuff. Um, I said, holy cow. And I get my net, and I get underneath it, and I get below that fish, and I lift it up into the net. And as I lift the fish up out of the water, what I see is a little brook trout fly out of its mouth right over top of my shoulder. And she does not see this. She does not see this. All she sees is this huge brown in the net. Uh, and uh, so she... What actually happened, as you know, if you fished, uh, she caught that little brook trout, and a big brown trout came out from somewhere and ate the brook trout. Somehow got <laughs> caught on the hook or caught on the trout, couldn't get off until I lifted it out of the water. She did not see the little fish go over my shoulder, and I felt no reason to uh, disavow her of that notion. Um, she thought, I mean, this is, a big, this is a big fish. It's, it was... <clears throat> most of the way as long as her arm we were taking pictures with it and everything and she's as happy as can be i mean she really she hit a hole in one on her first golf shot basically I love it. I love it. what's even better about this is two people one of whom you've already another guide who you already interviewed for this bob andrus and his friend Tom Brookover, who we all know the judge mm -hmm. were standing on the landing at guide's rest and saw this happen they didn't see the little fish either. They thought that she caught this enormous brown trout. Um, so it was a great, it was a great story. Day. They were as happy as could be. What did her husband think of this? I, I don't recall. You don't remember him? I don't recall. Yeah, she and I were taking pictures. She's holding the uh -oh. fish up, and we get it back in the water and let it go and everything. But it was, it was a great day. They were very happy and stuff. I later on told. Uh, Bob Andrus and Tom Brook over what had happened in actuality, but later on, but I didn't want her to know. I didn't want her to spoil that day for her. Yeah, you know. yeah. I didn't want the rest. Yeah. Nice. Uh, good story, Mark. Good story. You know, I, I know you got a couple other stories, but maybe a, a quick question for you. When you're, because I know you do a lot of new new Fisher introduction and. Um, right, that, that's a big part of my job, teaching you, people, bringing them into the sport, getting them to enjoy it, and see how easy it actually is. Do you have some, we, we've been trying to ask the guys, you know, do you have a favorite tip or two for a newcomer as they, uh, as they get involved in the sport? 
Boy, I don't know. Hire um, a guide instead of buy a rod, or well, first of all, <laughs> listen, well, listen to your guide. No, mm -hmm. you don't. You don't need an expensive rod. I mean, I'd buy a good fly line. You need a decent rod, good fly line. Um, boy, I don't know. Well, okay. I, uh, Just curious. I mean, sometimes it's. The, the, you know, the, the process of you know, a thousand dollar fly caster is going to do better with a fifty dollar rod than a fifty dollar fly caster is going to do with a two thousand dollar mm -hmm. rod. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, no. Bottom line, in fly casting, really is so much easier than people make it. I think people work far too hard at it. And if somebody yes. told me they really need to work on a fly cast, it just wasn't going. Uh, sight unseen, I would bet it's because they're using way too much power and mm -hmm. not too little power. Mm -hmm. They're probably trying too hard, trying to force it. And it's, it's the exact opposite. Using, using too much arm and not enough rod, well, it's, aren't yeah. they? I mean, it's, you make that rod do the work. Yeah, you, you hear that all the time, let the rod do the work, let mm -hmm. the rod do the work. What that mm -hmm. means in English is just, just slow down. You know, mm -hmm. the, the rod is designed to throw your line for you. You need to allow it to do it. Don't force it to do it. So, Nice. Good tips. <clears throat> okay, you ready for sword story number two? Sure. I'll call okay. this one hooked. Hooked. Okay. <laughs> um, all the guides get hooked sooner or later. I had a banner year last year, in my opinion. I didn't get hooked one single time. And that's the first time that's ever happened in the 15 years I've been doing this. Uh, one story in particular uh, comes to mind right away. Um, I was in the back of the boat. A guy in the front and a guy in the middle, the river boats. And the guy in the middle, throws. all I do is I watch the rods. I watch the tip of the rod. And if the tip of the rod stops where it's supposed to, either up more or less straight up in the air, or if they're sidearm perpendicular to the boat, if the rod tip starts coming back towards me, I start ducking before they mm -hmm. can begin that forward cast because the line's always going to follow the tip of the rod. Anyway, um, the guy in the boat... I don't remember if he was left-handed or right-handed, but anyway, the line was on the left side of the boat for one reason or another. And came back, and he come forward with his cast, and it hooked in the back of my left arm, in the triceps area. Hooked right in the back of my left arm, and he felt it not come forward, so he tugged on it and sunk it in there. Well, you know, so you know, he feels bad about it. They always do. Nobody tries to hook you on purpose. So I got it out of there. I just dug it out of my arm. It's not that big a deal. You know, I'm a lot of things, but delicate isn't one of them, you know. It's, uh, so we go on fishing. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, don't worry about it. It's okay, it happens, you know. So a little while later, same guy, same thing. I line on the right side, comes back, and it sinks in the back of my right arm. Same spot, only the opposite arm. And because it's caught, he pulls it forward and sinks that one in there. So, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I will get it out. Don't worry about it. And I grab it with the pliers, just yank it out of my arm. We go on fishing. <laughs> a little while later, I saw the leader coming back alongside the left side of my face, about six inches away from my face. Ooh. But by that time, it's too late to do anything about it. And I felt it hit me on the left side of my face wrap around my head and a hook spun around and went right into my spun around from left to right around my face and went right in my bottom lip and when it did it stung it really stung and i kind of yelped involuntarily oh! 
The silver lining to this story is because it was the same guy all three times. When he heard me yelp, he didn't tug and pull forward and sink it into my lip. It, it hadn't gone in quite past the barb, and I was able to lift it right out without any trouble. So, <laughs> you, you were lucky you'd been through one and two. It's an occupational <laughs> hazard. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it was the same guy all three times. So, you know, there, there we've my, heard stories where uh, guides might offer clients like that the advice that uh, hooking the guide is an extra X number of dollars. <clears throat> I think it well, was. I've heard those stories. Jay Stefan Sr., I've heard, did yeah. that years and years ago, uh, back when I think a guide trip was only like 35 bucks or something. It was exactly. really inexpensive. I mean, you're talking way, way back in the day. And I believe he instituted a policy where if, it, if you hooked him, it was five extra dollars. If you drew blood, it was $10 or That's something. exactly I've, right. I've heard stories, uh, you know, secondhand that uh, there were days he. Felt he made more money from getting hooked than he did from the actual guide trip. <laughs> That's exactly right. He so. actually told me that story. <laughs> yep. Good story. Nice. Uh, Mark, what about uh, just between now and the next story? Uh, guide lunches are sometimes a lavish thing. Sometimes you're just a simple sandwich. Uh, what's your pattern? Do you do very things depending on your clients? or, or tell, tell us about I that. I do, but for the most part, because I run the mainstream a lot, a lot of times we stop right here in Gates and eat. Ah, right at the lodge. Yeah. Okay. You mm -hmm. know, the sandwich window they put in at Gates is just a godsend. <clears throat> it's perfect. Um, they're, they're great sandwiches, as good as any deli anywhere you're going to find mm -hmm. in a big city. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they go really well. That's I a do good that idea. most of the time. There are, there are a few guys that prefer that you cook for them. And we, got, we all have stoves and things like that we can cook. But for the most part, I'm just going right here to, the, to Gates and getting the... I know it's a hit because I see guides from the other fly shops coming here to get their food and really? take people home. So <laughs> That's a good note. I know, I know yeah. it's working. So now on a full day float, you usually start at what time in the day? That's dependent on the time oh. of the year. And what they want? Well, what they want too, yeah. Some people <clears throat> want to go at 8 in the morning regardless, uh, you know, when the better time would be to go mid to late afternoon, but that's when they can go. You know, you need to tailor it to what their schedule is mm -hmm. and if they can only be here for that part of the day or they need to leave to get home by mid-afternoon we're going at eight in the that, morning that's when you go yeah mm -hmm. you know as you know the fly you know your chances of catching fish change throughout the year the flies change you know during the day they get you know early to mid-afternoon to late afternoon to evening tonight and trichos are on early in the morning and mm -hmm. followed by the little olives and things you know so it that changes throughout the year. It does every year. <clears throat> so there's all there's always a better time to fish, but any time you can get out to a good time, you, you can make like John Volker. You can make some. <laughs> you can make something happen most mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. So if if there's no flies on the water, but you're not seeing any insects, uh, what's your pattern for uh, uh, getting them some action? Oh, put fish droppers off a of dry fly. Dry flies and droppers. Yep. Get something down below. Mm -hmm. even, just even. Mm -hmm. A little soft ankle wet fly, something down below the surface. Yep. And if they're not coming up to eat, you know, you always do your best, and you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do. They got lockjaw, and yeah. that's how it is. But most times you can tempt a few of them if you put the sure. fly in the right place. I, I truly believe that trout are opportunistic feeders most of the time, and mm -hmm. if food comes by, they have to grab it, or the next fish down the line will. I, I think I've, I've been guilty of this before, giving trout too much credit for having too much intelligence and just 
to your point, they're pragmatic. They're going to sure. have the least resistance and mm-hmm. have, you know, yeah. highest yield versus lowest risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's always a risk-reward situation for them. They ha- bottom line is they have to get more calories from the food that they're eating than they, <laughs> they spend, spend getting those calories, mm-hmm. or they don't survive mm-hmm. over the long run. Mm-hmm. You know, a big trout's not going to run 55 feet across the stream for a size 18 midge. It's not. Oh. It's going to spend <laughs> way more than he's getting out of that. Right. You know, so. Nice. And they instinctively know that. Nice. Those are the ones that survive. Mm-hmm. And get big. Big fishies, we like them. How about uh, story number three, Mark? Story number three, I will call fish face. <laughs> I've heard this story, I like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, a couple of clients, I haven't seen them in a few years, but they were regulars here for a while. Um, as you know, I'm a pretty big guy. This is a, this is a guy and his buddy. Well, the one guy is a really big guy. I mean, he's way bigger than me. And I fished with him a number of times, very pleasant guy, I like him a lot. And we're fishing the South Branch, and our plan is to just kinda go through the South Branch and just kinda ease our way through there, and we're gonna post up as it starts to get later in the evening. This is early June, it's Brown Drake time. And we're gonna post up, and we're gonna make the last, oh, half hour to 45 minutes of what would normally be river time last like an hour and a half to two hours. We're going to just eek our way through there listening for fish and spotting them and stuff. So we get down where we want to start and put the anchor out and we're just sitting there for a while and it's starting to get dusky and starting to get dark. So let's kind of move and we're going really slow. I'm just going down the river. All of a sudden we start to hear fish on the right hand bank. Well the one guy we had been out all day. The big guy by now is tired. And he's sitting up in the front of the boat. He says, you know, I'm just going to pack it in. I don't care. You know, I'm going to sit up here and sleep. Put his rod away. Sits up in the front. Has his sunglasses on still. And just leans back in the chair with his arms crossed. And more or less falls asleep. Well, we're starting to hear fish on the right side. And his friend in the middle of the boat casts over to one. And hooks it. The fish takes, and right away it's apparent that this is a pretty good fish. Right away. So we pulls back on the line a little bit, and the fish just starts screaming right towards the boat. As it gets close to the boat, it leaps out of the water, up in the air, and hits the guy in the front of the boat smack in the face. <laughs> He's sound asleep. Hits him smack in the face. And this was loud, you know, because it's night and it's quiet. This was loud. It sounded like two wet boards smacking together. Whack! <laughs> Clap! The guy in the front of the boat, big man, big man, big booming voice, out loud. You could have heard it a half a mile either way on the river. What the f- was that? <laughs> 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 his buddy and I are in the back of the boat and we could see it wasn't quite dark yet we could see exactly what happened and we are laughing so hard it's uncontrollable I mean the boat was shaking and shaking and our ribs are aching and we can't stop the tears are running down our face we can't stop laughing and the boat, finally finally his buddy says to him 
the guy in the middle of the boat says to the guy that got hit by the fish, says, well, you didn't lose him, did you? <laughs> and the guy in the front of the boat says, no, he's right here between my feet. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we finally got it under control finally got the fish out of the boat and put them back in the water and stuff so we we eventually we work or work our way down and get out down at uh Chay, or smith down at smith bridge down there <laughs> I, I bet those guys back both to have told that story a hundred times. Well, the next time I saw him here at the lodge, the next day, he walking up to me, he says, hi. I says, hey, fish face, how you doing? Fish, fish face. <laughs> very funny, very funny. <laughs> so. Nice, nice. Good story. They still go out with you? I haven't seen either of them in a couple of oh, years okay. now. How do, you, how do you beat an experience like that, though? Well, you can't. Those are those are great stories. Yeah, yeah. If there was anybody else anywhere near, there wasn't, there wasn't anybody in front of us. I don't think, unless they dropped in walking, but there could have been boats behind us. I don't know. But if they were anywhere in the vicinity, they they heard they heard, it. They heard, they it heard anyway. that guy. Yeah, they heard it. That was, was funny. That was a great story. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love the stories, Mark. That's great, Mark. Good fun. You know, you're going to keep guiding for a number of years. Keep, keep oh, it going. I'd love to do that. I'm one of those lucky people. I've had two jobs my entire life, basically, from the time I was a young guy. You know, I was a firefighter down in Metro Detroit in a really busy fire station. I left there, started doing this right away up here. Um, they're both <laughs> jobs people would really like to have. You know? <clears throat> yeah, and that's the truth. <clears throat> I, I am getting older. I really, really like my job. <laughs> I, Isn't that great I do. to hear? You know, and, I, I don't <laughs> want to quit. You know, time and other factors eventually will force me into that. But as long as I can do it, I want to do it. Well, Is Mark, it I, I really like it. I would, I would like to add, Mark, that uh, the reputation you have indicates that uh, what you obviously like, you are very, very good at. Well, thank you. And your skills appreciated and recognized by your peers. And the people that have been out in the river with you. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to know you, and uh, what a treat. I'll, I'd like to go fishing with you sometime. Well, we should maybe, do that. Maybe I'll put you in the front of my boat. I'll just go down the river. I wouldn't know what to do up there. I think the front of the, <laughs> I think the, front of the boat broke off. Just, just, I'd be, just, <laughs> yeah. just don't hook me, okay? I wouldn't, know what to, I wouldn't know what to do without 20 feet of boat in front of me. <laughs> nice. Love to do it. Good job, man. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. All right. You're uh, while I'm here, I would just like to thank everybody for listening to the Backcast Podcast. Well, that puts a wrap on episode number five. Um, just want to take a moment, and uh, since we are uh, at the unofficial start of summer, the Memorial Day weekend, uh, during the course of your weekend, just take a moment and uh, ponder the significance of the holiday. Uh, it It's always about... Uh, family, friends, gatherings, fun, excitement, but there is a uh, there is a reason for Memorial Day, and uh, we uh, we enjoy the benefits of it. So enjoy, be safe, have fun, and uh, keep tuning back. We love ha- we love hearing from you, and uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week on the Backcast Podcast. Oh yeah, and. Uh, Don't forget to mind your backcast.